within a bleak and dismal swamp, hidden beneath its murky waters, lies the headquarters of the most sinister villains of all time. The Legion of Doom. Yes! Welcome back! What's up, Lonely Adventurer? So happy you are back. Miss you while you were gone, dude. I do not remember you talking about the Face Stalker or the Wizard Sanctum before, but I could be totally wrong. My memory is not the best. <laughs> anyway, I am glad you're back. Glad you're still gaming. Seven, huh? All right. Good luck. I'm sure you'll be fine. Seven's the lucky number, though, right? Yeah, you'll be great. It'll be no problem. I wish I could find a fourth player for my in-person game. You would think living in the city wherein Wizards of the Coast and Paizo reside, I'd be able to find a fourth rad person, but pff, no luck, man. It's been a long and arduous task to just get these three. Anyway, that's it for me. Super happy you're back. Welcome back. Peace out. Hey, Jason here. Just want to say really enjoyed hearing your latest episode. Always enjoy your recaps and the class descriptions. I'm looking forward to the new edition. And, um... Yeah, man, real life takes precedence, you know, you, you got to do what you got to do, this is a hobby, so it's okay, you, you know, I've been slacking off putting out podcasts myself, so, but it's great, great to hear an episode, and I look forward to hearing another one soon, take care. Hello, and welcome to Camping with Owl Bears. I am the Lonely Adventurer, so it's been another couple weeks, I know, <laughs> uh, but what's been going on? What's been going on? So first of all, uh, thank you, Jason and Joe, uh, as always, for calling in. Always love hearing from you guys. Um, on the gaming front, the Owlbear Heist Crew, my two-year-long Glaive campaign, which started life as a uh, BX romp through uh, the Tomb of the Serpent Kings by Skirples back in June of 2019 has officially ended as of two weeks ago. Uh, I know I left out a lot of the recaps on that, just haven't had time to do it, but uh, I also ended up cutting a lot from the very final chunk of it. Uh, it was just it was just time for it to be over. Uh, energy was kind of getting low in the group. My wife had had to duck out uh, several sessions ago because of her new work schedule. And one of our players has been with us the entire time. In fact, since before we started this, my issue is they were a player in the very first game of D&D I ever ran back in early 2019, maybe late 2018. I can't remember. Uh, it's, been, it's been that long, but uh, they've been around since the start. They just needed a break to recharge their batteries. They've had uh, a pretty eventful couple of years, uh, mostly in a positive way, I think, but just uh, um, they were ready for... A little break but uh as has happened with the 5e game that i was a player in uh where i now see my old dm more than when we were just playing DD. Uh, in fact we do kind of a, a weekly bi-weekly and sometimes tri-weekly uh movie night over at their place out in their garage um which is a whole other sidebar but uh, we have been enjoying the entire fast and furious franchise <laughs> and all its dumb fun glory and uh i think we're i think we decided that our next movie now that we're done with all of them except for the one that's in theaters now uh we are gonna start with the uh, terminator franchise next and uh my wife has not seen most of those kind of classic 80s sci-fi films because she was not allowed to see them as a kid so uh anyway I, man i'm 
my good thing I haven't lost my ability to wander off on a tangent into the weeds. So yeah, uh, this player is uh, one of my players is backed out. The player of Kindred, the Ranger. Um, though they were there for the last uh, the last big uh, session, which was great. And so my group that had blown up to seven is now down to five, which is much more manageable. And one of those players themselves, uh, they're going to get very busy in uh, August through October. Uh, the studio that I rent space at, uh, they aren't employed yet. And uh, every year they do a big art auction to raise. It's a, they're a not-for-profit, so they have to raise all kinds of money just to keep the uh, keep the rent affordable for us artists and to keep the doors open to the community. And they put in insane hours uh, leading up to this uh, this event. Uh, so in the near-ish future, another month or so, my group will be down to four players. I can't even imagine what that's like. <laughs> um, I do still have a player of uh, Cletus and JD, uh, who's been there since uh, the very, very first game, is still with me over two years later, and I'm very excited about that. And uh, the spouse of uh, Farcan the Ranger, who wasn't sure she ever wanted to play D&D, uh, seems to be the most invested, and uh, she is still she's sticking around with the group, and I'm really excited about that. So... Yeah, that's where we are. Last night we did well. Let, let's let's sum things up. So, the party had um, explored a good chunk of the uh, the Dead City point crawl and uh, got to a point where they had to enter the final uh, the final dungeon, uh, the Cathedral of Madness, down there to get to the caretaker, the dead corpse god at the center of my world, and uh, or the living corpse rather. And this was basically one big puzzle dungeon. And I figured with everyone there, with all six players there, this was going to be several sessions of Hemin and Han. And schedules just uh, worked out so that only three of the six players were available at the very, it was a very last minute thing that evening. And I just said, you know what, forget it. Let's, let's just play. Um, you can't, in this, in this day and age <laughs> where everyone's a busy adult, you can't always wait around for everyone to be available and with just the three players we we blasted through several sessions worth of material in a single go uh bringing us to kind of the the, the end game here and so the, the last bit here was a uh puzzle dungeon as i said where there were i'm gonna get some of the numbers wrong there was a beginning portion of the dungeon but beyond that it was a series of i believe it was nine or uh 12 rooms and each room, each room along the flanks, most of the rooms had uh, statues in them that were holding um, big rings in their hands uh, that were like portals, and they were glowing blue. And uh, as the players explored, they discovered that the statues could rotate on their on their on their bases, and that if you threw things into these portals, nothing came back they poked at them with 10 foot long sticks uh poles and when they retracted them the poles were intact so it probably wasn't a sphere of annihilation uh and then finally one of the players uh just said the hell with it. i'm sticking my head in <laughs> um and through trial and error they realized that each statue linked the, the portal from one statue would link up randomly with another statue and so they basically uh started throwing themselves through uh the portals and figuring out what ended up where uh, and 
while they were doing this, there was a couple of uh, gelatinous cubes stalking them through the hallways, and we, so we had a couple of uh, good, slightly tense combats. Uh, and eventually they found the, the, the centerpiece of the dungeon, I guess. Uh, there was a vessel of some sort, a flying jar, if you will, uh, locked behind this impenetrable glass wall. And at the other end of the, the room from this thing, uh, or an adjacent room uh, to this, where in other rooms there would be a statue with a, a portal that it was holding, uh, was a statue with a mirror instead. And then in another room, they discovered a, kind of a busted up war golem that reacted to intruders by firing you know, big beams of energy from its eyes. And so they worked out how to rearrange all the portals so they all pointed in the right direction and, and angled the mirror and, and whatnot to, and then went back and provoked this war golem to shoot at one of them. The blast goes through the portal of the statue in its room and you know, ricochets all around the, uh, the dungeon and comes out, hits the mirror, is reflected off the mirror and burns a big hole in the impenetrable glass wall, giving them access to uh, this vehicle. Um, and it was a lot of, it was just a lot of good fun. And because there weren't so many of us, we weren't too worried about talking over each other. And, um, it was a really good, it was a really good session. Had a lot of fun. Uh, my, our newest player, they're, they're, uh, they're playing a completely leveled up, uh, mimic from my, my relic log. Uh, it's pretty compatible with Glaive. So we've had, I, I found that the two, you could, different characters can run different each game and there didn't seem to be any kind of real substantive difference uh, as far as power levels or or abilities or anything like that um which is probably why i ended up liking the glog so much because it was already really close to what i was doing and enjoying anyhow uh, i did learn that a uh a mimic with four full levels of templates uh, is definitely a game breaker because they can in an osr dungeon they can essentially turn themselves into whatever tool you need to solve the problem um but they did this with some great creativity um at the early stages of the dungeon uh there was a large room with a vat in the center full of a bubbling green uh acid which they had discovered uh many sessions ago and they couldn't resist the treasure over it and they almost got killed by the the guardian of the the treasure but what they discovered was when too many people stood on the floor of this room uh the floor would sink revealing ports on the edges of this uh this vat and acid would just start pouring out and uh we actually we kind of lost a player jd my my uh the player of jd who has lost the most characters so far this game lost yet another uh to the acid although luckily for him at the time just before they went into the room he had magic jarred him used the magic jar spell to put his uh consciousness into a giant frog and he actually used the giant frog's uh tongue to snag this treasure that was hovering mysteriously over the acid uh, floor unfortunately though the frog got caught in the uh in the acid and died and uh, a couple of tense rolls but uh the player was able to get their consciousness back into their their actual body before the uh, the frog was completely dissolved so remembering this and coming back to it the the three players with uh, fj the fighter cletus the bugbear and uh are a plate plate the mimic uh they were trying to figure out what to do. There was a door, a barred door across the room uh, that they needed to pick the locks on. And um, so Plate just transformed themselves into a large uh, ladder and made like a bridge across the floor to the vat. Uh, and they crawled out across Plate and then repositioned Plate to get to the door. Um, they almost fell once or twice, uh, so it was tense enough, but it was uh, kind of fun. Then there was a, uh, a super-trapped laser hallway uh, beyond that, which they got pretty fried on uh, but survived. 
and uh, then finally there was the, the the puzzle of the mirrors beyond that. Um, they also had some fun with the uh, the war golems, uh, laser blasts. They knew uh, they knew how to direct it. They knew how to position some of the statues to make this this crazy energy attack go where they wanted. And they were uh, two of the players were fighting. Uh, a gelat- one of these gelatinous cubes. One of them escapes from the cube's grasp and dives through the portal themselves back into the war, f- uh, the war golem's room, provokes it, and jumps back through the the portal again. And they use the war golem's blast to just disintegrate this uh, this gelatinous cube, which was uh, a lot of fun. Um, and then this then took them to the final kind of dungeon of the uh, of the campaign. So they they ended up on the outside of the uh, of the O'Neill sphere. Uh, O'Neill Cylinder, uh, where they found themselves in a large kind of geodesic garden dome. Uh, for the first time, they saw a horizon that dropped away. Uh, for the first time in a long time, a horizon that dropped away when you looked at it. Uh, and beyond this dome was just blasted rock, because they were essentially looking at the outside of the massive asteroid that this, uh, this artificial world exists within. But on top is this big, uh, defunct, abandoned, and uh, overrun by chaos uh, uh, temple to uh, the caretaker of the island. They explored that a little bit, uh, found something that was a, essentially a seraphim uh, pinned to the wall by a dozen black spe- sphere, uh, spears. Uh, they were unable to communicate with it, though. They explored around a little bit more. Uh, they found the, uh, the 504 uh, broken website sign that I hung up on the entrance to most of the dungeon up there. Uh, and then the other thing they found was uh, this massive kind of uh, Akira-like uh, from the, the, the manga Akira. Uh, elevator that descended back down into the crust of the the asteroid, and that that all happened in one night. There was a lot going on. They saw a whole lot of things. They got a good aerial view of the 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 um, the O'Neill cylinder's interior as the uh, this uh, flying jar that they gained access to down in the Cathedral of Madness. You know, flew up through the ground and soared over. Uh, the landscape that had taken them several weeks to cross in, in a matter of moments and then disappeared into the vault of the mega dungeon at the end cap of this uh, uh, this artificial world and, and they saw all kinds of weird things in there uh, dwarven pilgrimage from, pilgrimages from the improbability forges uh, I've decided that Warhammer Fantasy rat men are a thing in this world and they saw all kinds of gross scaven rat men things going on um, yeah, just just lots of stuff, and before ending up in this place, and they decided they'd had enough. And uh, poor Cletus had been burned by uh, lasers, singed by uh, gelatinous cube acid, and had gotten slightly blasted by the uh, the the war golem when they discovered it. So he was just looking like a mess, and so they decided to take a, a, run, a, a long rest back at the uh, the landing pad outside this this final temple area. Uh, and called there for a session. So then our last session was everyone getting together. They got a quick recap. Um, with everyone there, Belladonna, the halfling wizard, I was able to use her read minds um, spell to not communicate with, but understand what this this mortally wounded seraphim that had been pinned to the wall for you know a thousand years uh, was trying to say. They collected some of its uh, its the silver blood that was running out of it with its permission, um, and it gave them some clues as to how to revive. Uh, the dead god. And then I just had a real kind of simple um, inside of the Epcot golf ball sort of situation uh, where uh, there was a large uh, platform, or maybe a better way to put it is the the platform that uh, Luke Skywalker gets his hand cut off on, but on a much larger scale, just kind of like shooting out over this vast emptiness. And at the bottom of this thing, they could see the, the caretaker's 
body and it's reaching out for something but its arm has been severed and there's a the, this parasite from the far realms is attached to it and pulsing and there's a dark ritual going on and the, the creature is the the parasite is pulsing in time with the rhythms of the chants uh, of these cultists that are down there and they all arrive from different directions it's a day and a half trek after they went down the Akira elevator through this maze where the air itself was very disorienting and kind of hallucinogenic so the whole group got uh, split up and so they randomly rolled to see who, who kept their wits about them and who ended up where. So they all popped out into this uh, this battle area uh, from different uh, different positions. And then the two, uh, the Farcan, the Ranger, and I forget who the other one was, uh, that was able to kind of keep their bearings uh, and navigate this maze, uh, got to choose which lost groups they ended up with. Um, and so there was a half dozen, uh, a half dozen cultists down there and a cult, uh, like a a cult priest, a blight priest, and uh, they had a pretty good, it was a pretty good fight. It didn't last more than four rounds. I didn't want to drag it out. Um, I had sort of thought in my head, they had this device to pl- basically plug into the god to turn them back on. They'd gotten some clues from the, the, the dying seraphim on how to uh, resurrect the god. It ended up giving them its life force to, to also help with this. And I'd sort of thought most of the group would do the fighting, and I figured that JD, the owl man, uh, would fly down to the god and wake it up. Um, and there was, in fact, I'd, I'd so invested in that idea early on that I was trying to figure out all these rules for, like, how do kaiju fights work in D- D&D? And I, I read a bunch of really great stuff, and then finally at the end, I was just like, it's too complicated. <laughs> um, but... Um, so yeah, but that did not end up happening. I thought, oh, I also thought Plate the Mimic would join him by just, you know, shape-shifting into a frisbee and throwing themselves down there or something like that. Um, yeah, so ended up just being a big brawl up top. There was some good creative use of the terrain. Um, someone got enlarged again. Uh, this happened in one of our fights earlier. Uh, they found an, uh, an enlarged spell, so they, they cast, uh, Belladonna cast it on... on uh, the bugbear, the bugbear turned into this, you know, giant ogre-sized bugbear, which is great because some of the cultists had, had uh, uh, mutated as well into this, and it was a, a pretty straightforward fight. I've got some, I, I did design some what I think are cool mechanics, and I want to talk about those in a second, but uh, I just want to get, wrap this up, and so they win the day. Um, a couple people went down, but nobody died, and it was good. It was, a, then it was kind of like, you know, I did like a cutscene with the, 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 the vault reopening, the god of this world kind of clawing its way out of this tomb that it's been locked in, you know, flocks of birds flying around. It's, it's, it's basically Godzilla-sized. Um, and just the, the, the nature of uh, the ring, the section of the, the island that these guys are on, kind of changing with its presence there. Um, and then it was kind of just like wrap-up time. Like, you know, where do you see... You know, tell me, tell me what, a year from now, what is your character now doing? And initially, when we would have these conversations, everyone's like, oh, we're all going to hang out. We're going to go back to FJ's village and, and, and make it our own thing and whatnot. And that ended up not being at all what happened. Uh, Farcan uh, took their owlbear cub and just became like a hermit in the woods and a hunter. Um, Belladonna became the personal uh, advisor and mage to... Uh, uh, King Astrid back in Haven. Uh, FJ returned to his uh, village of Brewer's Bridge. I cannot remember what happened to Cletus for the life of me. Um, <laughs> sorry, Cletus. Uh, Plate the Mimic decided to stay in the vault and just keep being a mimic. Um, JD. Oh, I can't remember what JD did either. He might have also gone back to 
No, he didn't go back to Haven. I can't remember what, what JD's decision was. And Mulch had left the group. My wife's character had left the group back in the, uh, the dead city of Iztec to help the, uh, the, the, the spirit guardian of that place that they had helped restore down there uh, to help um, rehabilitate these these god-awful ruin, this god-awful ruined city. And so the, the whole party ended up scattered all to the wind, but it was in a very, very good, satisfying kind of, kind of way. Um, so yeah, I'm going to pause here for a second, and then I want to kind of go through the, the big bad boss fight and how that played out. Okay, so let's talk about the big bad evil guy for this this final confrontation, the uh, the Blight Priest. Um, the characters have run into Blight cultists on and off throughout their time uh, in on the island. Um, I did not do a good job of setting up as a central threat. Uh, I think just kind of because I was developing the setting as we were playing, it wasn't as focused as I wanted it to be. But I, I think we had fun. I, whatever. Anyway, uh, so I took some ideas from video game design uh, articles that I think I've talked about before on Coins and Scrolls about uh, building better boss fights and um, uh, some time back Mike Colville on his YouTube channel had talked about action-oriented monsters or something like that I think is what he called it and I took a look at all these things again and um, it's the idea that it's not just that you're it's, it's several ideas one that you're your solo monster, as it were, or your big monster, is gonna is gonna develop new abilities as either they hit a certain level as far as like their their hit their hit points going down or a certain number of rounds passing, whatever. There'll be a trigger for it. Uh, one thing I pulled from Colville that I really liked was the idea of villain actions. Uh, these are similar to the legendary actions in um, in fifth edition, except that they are kind of keyed to each round. Um, so let me, let me just read this. So here's the Blight Priest. Uh, the specific stats don't really matter all that much. Um, as for, for actions, they can either do two dagger attacks if they're stuck in melee combat or spell casting. Uh, they have a dagger of roiling polymorph, which I freaking love. Um, basically, you get hit by this dagger. Uh, you have to save versus wisdom to resist. Oh, that happened to Cletus. Yeah, giant Cletus got hit with this thing, and uh, their saves went a little weird. Um, <laughs> and uh, a year later in the epilogue, they were still like uh, occasionally uh, morphing and changing colors and whatnot. So basically, you get hit. You roll d10 at the start of each round if you fail the uh, the wisdom test. On a one to two, there's no change from your current form. On a three, you transform into a small mammal. On a four, you transform into a small amphibian. On a five, a small bird. A six, a small crustacean. On a seven, a medium-sized mammal. Uh, eight, you become a medium bird. Nine, you become a creature of the same size and species as the target but of a different appearance. On uh, a 10, you become a creature of the same size as the target, but different species and appearance. The creature stats and HP are quartered when transformed into a small creature and halved when transformed into a medium creature. When the spell's effect, spell's effect ends, the creature is stunned for 1d6 rounds. Um, I used the Glog magic uh, system for the Blight Priest. I gave them six magic dice to play with. Um, and that was just more fun than trying to remember spell slots and things like that um as a bonus action on their turn the blight priest could summon cultists so every turn as a bonus action they could summon 1d3 cultists to a red that would arrive from adjacent zones or rooms and areas um cultists are pretty easy to kill the you know their first level mooks the characters are all fifth sixth and seventh level so they were basically like one hit point minions um a blade of armor, I guess, for the Blight Priest. As a reaction, uh, the f 
the priest also had a couple of options. They could either uh, use an ability called the flesh still serves, where uh, when a cultist is one of the cultists is reduced to zero hit points, which happens all the time. With these mooks, the priest makes a save versus constitution. On a successful save, the cultist gets back up with one hit point, so it kind of turns him into a zombie of sorts. Um, optionally, as a reaction, they can use an ability called Rot Pulse. If two or more PCs move into melee combat with the Blight Priest, this goes off. And it has a range of uh, dice, the number of dice you invest, uh, times 10 feet targets themselves the duration is instant and a blast of necrotic energy erupts from the caster affecting all within a dice times 10 radius enemies take some damage uh so some of the dice uh save for decks to get half damage allies gain temporary hit points equal to whatever you roll in the dice to some of the dice i did not i ended up at the last minute seeing how the game was going not letting the uh the cultists heal as a result of this also otherwise we would have been there for five or six rounds and that's too many um so those are just bonuses and reactions that this priest can do. Then there's the villain actions themselves. And these just trigger once per once per round. So villain action one on the first round uh, is called destroy the unclean. Once they're aware of the character's presence, the cultist on that first round can make one free move or a free attack. Uh, so it's kind of a positioning uh, ability. On the second round, second villain action is called the Gift of Mutation. 1d3 plus 1 cultist roll on the random mutation below. Uh, two of the cultists mutated. One of them turned into a uh, basically something with the stats of an ogre. Uh, another one grew several arms and legs, uh, which gave it a lot of abilities and, and some bonuses to stuff. Um, and so it's only two of them, but we had some good uh, some good Cronenberg uh, uh, horrors running around in the middle of everything. Um, and the third villain action on the third round is Embrace Your New God. Uh, a forest of spike-covered tentacles erupt from the Blight Priest's robes. The PCs must save versus strength or be pulled into melee range of the Blight Priest, triggering Rot Pulse. Cultists and melee with the PC are dragged along also, and it says they receive the beneficial effects of, effects of Rot Pulse, but I did not actually do that. Uh, I think I just had them get pulled along. Um, for spells, only three spells. I don't like to have too many it just gets hard to manage and they're not supposed to last that long so uh their ranged attack spell called boiling blood has a range of 200 feet they can target up to dice creatures so if they invest all six of their magic dice into this they can target all six of the pcs that were there um which they did not do because i didn't want to be a jerk <laughs> and the duration is instant uh targets take some plus dice uh, damage save versus constitution for half damage veins blacken and smoke seeps from the target's pores as their blood becomes superheated the next spell is called Shuffle. The range is the sum of the dice times 10 feet. Target dice creatures. Duration is instant. An even number of creatures, objects, or creatures and objects switch places. The number must be even, so a caster needs to invest two or four uh, magic dice in this. Uh, this came in handy when uh, FJ used their Spider Climb spell to leave the the, the gantries, the, the catwalks that everyone was fighting on, go underneath them and scuttle along to sneak up on the cultists. And they got... They got out and they got to the cultists. They landed a good blow on uh, the called blight priest. Sorry, uh, they they landed a good hit on the blight priest who summoned uh, as their bonus action a couple of cultists to come help them out. But then the blight priest swap used this shuffle to swap places with a a mook cultist that was in another a nearby zone. I don't know if I talked about this before, but we've been playing. We started playing with a uh, zone mapping now that we're back in person again, rather than gridded combat. Um, 
I have a feeling like we've talked about zone combat, but if we haven't, you know what? There's my next episode, I guess. Um, I put it, if you download my, uh, the Relic uh, PDF, which I'll put a link to in this, we'll talk about that in a sec. Um, I've got a page sort of describing it, but I think it's worth talking about, and I feel like it's been pretty good. Anyway, uh, and their, fall, their final uh, spell, which they did use uh, also, they've used all, they used all of them, actually, uh, is Wall of Malice, and basically it just creates a, a force field in front of them, but it's thematically uh, creepy and... Uh, uh, cult like so yeah so we had a real good real good battle with them the villain actions were a lot of fun it was easy because I could just look at my notes and I didn't have to pick what to do it was just oh turn two this is what's going to happen um, and it was kind of like those things were pre-programmed and were going to happen no matter what but the bonus action the, rea- the which reaction reaction got used or which spell got deployed you know that was dependent on what was happening in the moment so it was, it was a nice mix of pre-programmed and uh, on the fly decision making for me that I really enjoyed so yeah there we are campaign over can you believe it You know, I think I should stop there. I feel like uh, this is a good solid episode, and I want to talk about our session zero for our next game and uh, zones and all that. But uh, yeah, so that's it. This two-year journey uh, ended, and it was it was good. It was the right time. It was really the right time. Um, I'm really glad that uh, Kindred's player was able to kind of tough it out uh, to the end. I you know they we we had a a long conversation via text and uh um i had you know i'm not i'm okay at reading the room and like it was clear to me that their interest was flagging for a while now or just they were distracted by other things you know the same way that i have not updated this podcast regularly in a while not because i don't love doing it but just because life um they're in a similar situation so yeah so we had a good conversation about that um you know it's important i think with our friends that when we game with them to kind of make that clear that like you wanting to not run a game anymore or not participate in a game anymore is not a reflection on that person's character it's just where you're at or just something you just don't feel like doing um anyway uh so yeah it it ended uh really well i think uh we've gone back to an an every we decided on a bi-weekly schedule for playing which i'm a little bummed about i would like to do it every week and especially during the summer it's one of the few times of the year since i don't also have to teach where i've got time to do it twice a week um but alas <laughs> they are uh all young and uh and busy now that uh life is sort of returning to normal if you can call it that um although mostly i just see people making a lot of bad decisions <laughs> and uh, getting a little too excited about socializing uh, again but that's just me uh life with a nurse i guess makes me a little more either i wouldn't say paranoid uh, i'm not i don't feel paranoid about it but i just feel like i i guess i see their the risks in moving too quickly uh, a little clearer maybe than someone who does not live with someone working in the medical field anywho that's depressing huh so game over uh excellent campaign this is the first uh first rpg campaign i have ever completed from start to finish and that's a really cool feeling um hopefully our next game will be as successful but if it's not that's okay too and yeah i might like i said i might i might uh I'd start another a second game again at least a, a short-term one uh while i've got the time to play every single week we'll see how that goes uh, it won't be fifth edition i know that uh, i'm just i'm playing another fifth edition, fifth edition game right now we're doing candle keep mysteries and it's fun to hang out with my friends um i just it's just i don't dislike it i just i don't have any enthusiasm for it either um yeah <laughs> 
so there's that. Uh, I guess for now, uh, we'll talk soon. I can't remember my outro again. I forgot it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, for now, Lonely Adventurer out. <laughs>